Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us tonight in the Creepypasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no sleeps, and web horror flash fiction. We are your hosts, Jonah and Wednesday. And today we are discussing the first part of Tales from the Gas Station. Jack works at the worst gas station in the worst town in America. A fetid wasteland of expired food, broken-down machines, cowboy toilet ghosts, hallucinatory nightmares, and mutant raccoons. He has a severe sleep disorder which is on the verge of killing him, so he's begun documenting the events of the gas station as a way of entertaining himself. At the gas station, weird stuff happens constantly. Tonight, the gas station has been invaded by lawn gnomes, and he gets a visit from a cultist down the road that he calls Marlboro, who sometimes swings by for cigarettes. He catches himself digging a hole out back, which he does often when he loses focus. The gas station's turnover is extreme, with new part-time employees showing up and departing, seemingly at random. One part-timer, Carlos, approaches Jack and brings him into the walk-in freezer in a panic. He points out a suited man in the store, Kiefer, who is running for local office, and claims that he killed Kiefer two days ago. Spencer, a strange local delinquent who may have killed his parents, arrives shortly after Kiefer to talk to him. They leave, and Carlos confesses that he killed Kiefer by accident, backing him over with his car in a panic. He shows Jack the body in his car, and it's definitely Kiefer. Kiefer's phone begins to ring, and Spencer is on the other line. He wants to cut a deal for Kiefer's dead body, and so they all meet out by the hand plants to make the exchange. Some days later, Spencer comes back to the gas station and screams at Jack, demanding to know where the other one is, though his tirade is cut off by the appearance of Tom, the sheriff's deputy. Carlos comes into work, and it turns out that he's killed another Kiefer by accident. Marlboro comes in cheerful, and since the cultists have been much more active recently, Jack asks if he's ready for the big event, but Marlboro doesn't know what he's talking about, and then runs out in a panic, realizing he's about to miss the group suicide. He returns sobbing, and Jack and Carlos stick him in the dry storage, where he babbles to them that he'd been sent on a vision quest all week, and now all of the other cultists are gone. Kiefer shows up and starts making threats to Jack, inquiring about his mental problems, while undressing and pouring substances onto his body. Because Jack can't sleep, he's unable to dream, so he can't reach him. Spencer busts in and bundles Kiefer away before he can say anything more. He gives Jack $100 for the security video footage. Marlboro has also been living in the gas station since the cultist disappeared. Jack wakes up in a hole seven feet deep, and when he throws his shovel out to start climbing, it impales another Kiefer, killing him instantly. Jack drags his body into the freezer and notices three others, and then Marlboro, who has begun working at the gas station, drags in a fifth. Marlboro, aka Jerry, takes over the story briefly, since Jack has broken his leg and can't be at work. He's been recruited to transcribe Jack's notes in exchange for becoming a full-time employee. Jack's notes detail a man in a trench coat he's brought up several times, who is, quite frankly, not important. Jack receives a package at the gas station, and the hand plants begin to overgrow. He opens the package, and it has a laptop inside that actually works in the gas station, from an avid fan and possible government op. A guy with a beard comes in, reporting car trouble, and when Jack and Carlos go out to help him investigate, a small oak tree has grown to the car and engine. The bearded man hears noises from the woods, which he describes as an anglerfish, and gets out a large gun from his car. He tells Jack and Carlos to get back to safety, and then goes into the woods alone. A few days later, Jack hears a baby crying outside the gas station, and ignores it, because there's no way a baby would get out there without him knowing about it. He goes out to investigate just in case, and just at the tree line, he finds a hand plant that had grown wild without him pruning, a whole man's body covered in leaves and attached to the ground with roots, 
It's Kiefer. He and Jack have a long conversation, and the conclusion is there is a dark god under the gas station with big plans. Jack burns the full-grown Kiefer plant to a crisp, along with the sprouting hands near the dumpster. In retaliation, Spencer beats Jack half to death and takes him through the strange doorway Jack had only recently noticed. Behind the door is an office with a massive hole in the ground, and it's time for Jack to meet what lives inside. Spencer throws him in, breaking his leg, and Jack calls the deputy with his stolen cell phone. The toilet cowboy throws him his laptop. Spencer left a bomb behind the counter, and when Jerry gets back from watching Thor Ragnarok, he disarms it and then finds Jack in the hole. Jack returns to work with his leg in a cast, and the police put out a warrant for Spencer. Kiefer has disappeared, and the only evidence he ever lived in town is a grainy yearbook photo. Arnold, the deputy, comes around regularly and drives Jack to work. When Jack goes to take out the trash, he sees a little crawling, glowing thing eating the gunk off the dumpster. Jack gets a call from an unknown man, giving him a list of instructions on how to survive the night. Don't go out. Don't drink the water, etc. Jack ignores him when an old lady comes to the station and asks for help with her gas, and the caterpillar thing has formed into a cocoon that fills him with hope. He turns around on his way back inside and sees a raccoon stuffing it into its mouth. Carlos and then the bearded man come into the gas station and the man, Benjamin, holds Jack at gunpoint while he locks the doors and disables the phones. Jerry comes out of the back after his nap and Benjamin puts him in a chokehold until Jerry, ecstatic at the prospect of ending it all, grabs the trigger and pulls it. The gun is empty. Benjamin starts to panic but is cut off by Spencer who crazy murders him. He sticks Carlos and Jerry in the freezer and sits Jack down for a conversation. Spencer's boss isn't mad at Jack, and he doesn't want him dead. They actually need him. Benjamin is somehow still alive in the background, wiggling around. Spencer assures Jack that he didn't plant the bomb in the gas station, but then Benjamin slits his throat. Jack calls Arnold, and then calls him back an hour later when he still hasn't shown up. The gas station is totally blocked off, with trees growing in the middle of the road and forming an impassable barrier. Suddenly, the cultists walk out of the woods, butt naked and undead. They begin barricading the doors, and the gas station loses power. The four men inside keep together, huddling for warmth and chugging adrenaline pills, booze, smoking weed, and Jack's pain meds. Carlos pulls Jack away and says he gets a bad vibe from Benjamin, but Jack isn't worried. Jack, high as balls, begins talking to Spencer's dead body, who wants him to open up his package. Benjamin decides to try to fight the zombies outside, but when he takes down the barricade, he finds that the whole gas station is covered by a giant tree trunk. They hear glass shatter from the other room, and Spencer's body is gone. Jerry spills the beans about the secret room in the hole while Benjamin is trying to escape, and they bust the door down. Jack opened the box earlier, and inside was a loaded handgun, which he's been carrying around. They descend into the hole under the gas station, with a tunnel leading downward, ending in a massive tree trunk full of human body parts and faces. Benjamin plants a bomb on it. Jerry points back up the tunnel at Spencer, who has followed him down, and in a panic, Jack throws the gun and hits him in the head with it. Something suddenly pulls Jack away from the others, and he finds himself in the home of the Dark God. The Dark God is actually a really chill guy who's really normal and wants to get some political organizing done so he can get the city to cut back on logging and make life better for himself and his tree people things. But everyone keeps burning and blowing up his kefirs and root systems. It turns out that humans were the monsters all along. And then Benjamin kills the Dark God. Oops. So what do we think? That was, I really enjoyed that recap. <laughs> sure if, if you guys can tell sort of by the tone that I've taken with recapping the story. I I don't really like Tales from the Gas Station very much. Like. 
like you were in hell going through reading it. And I was like, I'm like, I'm still in spring break, baby. <laughs> I, it was so hard to force myself to read this that I had to get like an audio version because it was the only way like, like I had to do the, the like Mr. Creepypasta yeah like I physically could not make myself sit down and read it with my eyes like it was it was too intolerable I really enjoyed the part in the recap when you're like that guy's not important because <laughs> he's not he just keeps coming back because it's like a gag that he's doing because he's like oh look at this like spooky scary monster like... that I'm describing he describes the the man in the trench coat like first of all he's a man in a trench coat with <laughs> arms <laughs> hanging down past his knees and a smile too wide for his face and lank greasy black hair it's like it's the most it's 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 almost intentionally stereotypical of like you know reddit horror i think that's the point but like i honestly don't know if he is like aware enough no what i mean is like he's doing a reddit horror creature but not like satirical is what i mean like this is his <laughs> long-armed greasy man <laughs> like that that kind of summarizes all of gas station i think like he's trying to do satire but he actually doesn't know what he's satirizing <laughs> he's he's just like this is what i've heard satire sounds like so i'm just gonna do that voice i think that's what makes it interesting to me because it, it lacks <laughs> it, it feels like someone is writing having never been introduced to any like literature or anything ever <laughs> and they're just doing it they're like reconstructing it solely by themselves and i think that's fast i think it's i like <laughs> so it's something it's... about it that i find really interesting it's a Plato's cave version of literature, <laughs> except, like, the shadow puppets on the wall are, like, having listened to the first four seasons of Night Vale, you know? Yeah, that's the thing, too. <laughs> like, we don't know if that's, like, I guess we could have looked that up if he did, like, Q&As about his inspiration, but it's really the formula of Welcome to Night Vale and, like, a whole bunch of stuff follows the sort of formula around this, like, year era of creepypastas that for some reason I really really tried to keep on top of and I don't really know what like they just caught my brain like (laughs) okay I need to know about every single one of these in depth so like (laughs) I'm an expert of stuff that's ultimately very stupid altogether you are the person who introduced me to Gas Station because the first time that I experienced it was like yeah we're doing a watch along yeah yeah back when Rabbit was still around we, yeah. we listened to, like, the same version that I just listened to to be able to, like, get through it. And and the first time, like, I think it was you, me, there was a couple other people. Mm-hmm. Carrie might have been there. Roma might have been mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was, like, a small handful of people. Like, at the time, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, that was really fun. That was, like, great little group watch. And then I got nostalgic for it, like, a year or two later. And went back and I re-listened to it. And I was like, oh, this is fucking bad. It was only good because we were in a group. We were in a group. Yeah. We were vibing. It's like a party movie, but in a creepy <laughs> pasta, and I value it for that essence. <laughs> and, like, I'm pretty sure at the time when I re-listened to Gas Station, I then went back and I did, like, a full re-listen to Night Vale. Like, I caught back up on Night oh, Vale I need to so after bad. I listened to Gas Station. This makes me, makes me so angry, but I have to catch back up on it. <laughs> 
like, I think the last Night Vale that I listened up to was, like, season eight? Something like Mm -hmm. that? Like, I I came in right at the start of season eight, because I fully caught back up. And, like, I have my problems with Night Vale and the way that it goes. But, like, Night Vale is, um, written... Like, yeah. <laughs> like it, for for all its for all its flaws and a lot of its its lots of its flaws are like, because they want to make money as fast as possible from retaining viewership instead of telling like the story that they had. It's yeah. it's a whole thing. This has similar flaws, but it also lacks storytelling techniques. The thing that made Night Vale beloved and like so ubiquitous for a while it it has solid prose mm-hmm. to yeah it. and like also like cecil baldwin is a is, great voice actor yeah and it's like experimental whereas this is like built on the thing that was experimental so it's no longer experimental yeah now it's a genre established and like <laughs> i guess there's like a lot to say that it also like, help set up guidelines for, like, other stories. A thing doesn't have to take credit for something that's, like, super obvious, like a a weird job story, but you know what I mean. There's, like, beats <laughs> to a story that follows a formula. It's, like, the idea of a weird town where, like, crazy random stuff just happens and nobody knows why this one specific, like, town in the middle of nowhere is so weird. It's not something that Night Vale invented, but I don't think it's an accident that this kind of story really took off around the time of, like, Night Vale's peak popularity in, like, season two, three. It's like the doing the small, like, seemingly unconnected stories that suddenly, like, tie together is the thing and grows. In Night Vale, the writing overall is better it has a stronger clearer voice it has a very particular style Mm -hmm. that it is doing and and that's one of the other things that sets it apart because like gas station and the writing of it sounds like literally any other like reddit guy thing you know you could stumble across like there is absolutely nothing that distinguishes it like i guess the semi-innovation that it has over some other of this loose anthology type, mm-hmm. you know, like the search and rescue format of pasta no sleep, mm-hmm. is that it is trying to be explicitly comedic. Yeah. Um, more so than actually horror. Okay. I think the things it's that not funny. set... No, that's... Yeah, it's not funny. But the things that set it apart are, like, little moments of, like, okay, this person clearly wants to do, like, little scenes, set scenes, and you feel that, even though, like, everything else is kind of thin and, like, versus something like that Radio Tower story, which has, like, a a story movement, or, like, the Rescue Ranger one, which is, like, that tells really good set pieces, but the person has, like, it it gets weak when they try to do, like, an overall arc. But strong... (laughs) in gas station is jerry and spencer are fun characters (laughs) and like little moments like kiefer one rubbing himself with like stuff while he's like there's something wrong with you that's such a good scene (laughs) oh i found that really obnoxious honestly I was I, like, oh god, it's like it's like Invader Zim random core oh, bullshit. See, I really listen. 
I... <laughs> you were also, like, an Invader Zim kid, and I wasn't. I... You were into Soul Eater, and I wasn't. For, I was into Soul Eater. I get Eater. really annoyed by that kind of thing. But... I was a Johnny the Homicidal Maniac kid. Excuse you. Okay, fair. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I... Okay. In my defense... I, how do I explain this? I don't think he affected my style, but he did make me be, be like, wow, you can make a story like this. You know what I mean? Uh, like Jonah Vasquez? Yeah. I feel like I need to clarify for goth cred reasons. <laughs> Jonah Vasquez is such a fucking poser. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I truly hate that man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a pretty common sentiment for people who actually do like gothic stuff and not like. <laughs> like I'm I'm not even I don't try to claim to be you know goth or punk or any other mm-hmm. you know thing more so than I am. I'm just interested in things, and I'm interested in storytelling and and literature and the idea of, like, exploring concepts. And, like, Jonah Vasquez strikes me as a person who's, like, not. Interesting. Yeah, no. He's very self-indulgent. Self-indulgent, because the aesthetic for him is about having a medium through which he can feel superior to yeah. other people. And I think that was, like, my introduction to kind of, like, that everyone's, like, all characters are me in some sort of way. I find that really appealing <laughs> in a lot of people's works. Yeah, the, the proto-hussy. Yeah. Something about... <laughs> Like, the semi-fictional autobiography kind of comic is, like, or <laughs> creepypasta or whatever else is, like, my favorite thing to read. <laughs> I like, even though Jack is, like, a Reddit mouthpiece character, and I don't think a lot of stuff is done with it, I think his condition is interesting. It's a cool premise for a character, mm-hmm. but I don't like the way that it's handled because it is so reddit No, it's handled poorly and just like, incidental. Okay, and the the bathroom cowboy is like a homophobic joke, or joke, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, homophobic bit. But like every time I revisit this thing, I feel like, oh, I wish the homo- I wish the the cowboy was not in the story but in a different story cuz it's a pretty solid <laughs> bit. If you like ignore the other stuff, other stuff that's like bad about it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I find bathrooms are an unpleasant place, and <laughs> I find like horror centered around bathrooms to like hit me in a certain way. So the bathroom cowboy feels like like a scary bathroom story to me. And there's something <laughs> there's something pleasant about it, but then it's used up. You know what I mean? It's just. It's not even a horror thing. It's just like a, it's just a joke. It's a gag. It's just a joke. It's a gag. But like something, like if this was like, if I was like playing a, like a, an experimental twine game and, it, and the bathroom cowboy <laughs> was in it, I'd be like, yeah, all right. Like if you wanted to do something with that. The problem is it's like, I think Jeff, I think the story reads better if you just pretend they're all gay, I guess is the thing. <laughs> Like, Jack should be gay. Yeah, the Jack fact should be that gay. Jack has, like, a, a. He has several lady love, love interests. interest implied thing with some girl who's, like, doesn't get a name in this section. And he's just like, and if you're reading this, and it's like, it really just is, is, is there to establish, like, 
that this is a you're reading about a red-blooded heterosexual american man and you don't have to worry about anything because that's the kind of like technique that a lot of guy writers will use especially if uh this is a very like homosocial story this Mm -hmm. is a story about guys and their relationships to other guys The way that, like, men... Because there's no named women in the story so just, far. Which is just a Reddit it, thing that happens. It's like, we get lady characters later. bouncing off of each other. But yeah. she's like a cop. And it's like, whatever. You don't know about this yet, Jenna. <laughs> pretend to not... You, you know, but pretend to not know. We're not there in the reading. <laughs> and I know there's the, the, like, Finding Vanessa stuff. And, like, Vanessa is not in the story of Finding Vanessa. Because they have to find her. Yeah, like, she's missing. <laughs> missing Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another part that's really good is when Jerry is like, yeah, let's go, and he just <laughs> pulls the trigger <laughs> on the gun. <laughs> that rules. There were, like, two moments that got me during this. That was one. The other one was when Jack throws the gun at Spencer. <laughs> that really got me. <laughs> like, that was, like, it's, like, there's just, like, moments that are, like, this is, like, this moment, this specific moment is okay to solid and then it's like just (laughs) free floating (laughs) because like the idea of someone who has a gun throwing it instead of using it is always funny so he's he's sort of leaning on that as 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 like a good joke that's a gimme that he gets i i can barely even count that but jerry's saying all right motherfuckers i'm not afraid to die (laughs) is really funny (laughs) okay like Oh, Jerry is such a good character. I'm sorry. Jerry's a really good character. <laughs> a good character. I like the concept of the cult. It's really funny that, like, 2017, when this was starting to be written, mm-hmm. it's like, people who have this kind of worldview would live in a commune in the woods, when now it's just, like, a mainstream anti-natalist yeah. talking point. <laughs> <laughs> so looking back, it's like, but the build-up to, like, the drop line of, like, their belief system that's a pretty good section <laughs> like that's a pretty good reward you're like <laughs> it hits him. that feels like he he knows he has seen some people who actually like argue like this and believe this kind of stuff and you can believe it because it's like yeah you know people who would argue that kind of thing yeah he's really like one thing I think the story, the, the overall story is good at, he's good at, like, winding things up and dropping, like, a <laughs> a blunt line. Yeah. Like, for all that he's not funny funny, like, he is pretty okay it's like, at try. payoffs to a specific scent, like a, like, like, a specific paragraph will often have, like, a pretty good payoff at the end. Yeah. It's rarely an actually funny payoff is the no, problem. No, but sometimes And he's it's... really trying to be funny. I'm like, uh, I appreciate attempts. <laughs> you can almost imagine that, like, if he would actually double down on the horror aspects, that he could be pretty good because, like, uh, uh, horror is, like, unfulfilled comedy. Right? Yeah. Brother in arms. <laughs> if, if he were to put that effort and that, like, ability to do that kind of setup and payoff, attention and release, mm-hmm. you could imagine that he could be pretty okay at setting up an actual scare. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the problem with like this type of like self-aware sort of comedy horror stuff is that mm-hmm. it lacks victims. 
in like the the sense of like how are people like interfacing and like relating to the horror it's really impersonal Mm. it's a similar kind of like you know night vale has the interns who get sort of just like shoveled into into the maw and, like, gas station has the, the part-time employees and the deputies and stuff who get, it's you know... A, it's a similar commentary, Killed yeah. or spooked away. But, like, without getting the commentary... The commentary is that interns are churned and used, like, labor and stuff. Yeah, they're, like, expendable people. Yeah. But I don't feel the same kind of, like, political, like, tilt in this story. Yeah. That's one of the things that drives me really crazy because, like, okay, like, the difference in core setup, the main difference in core setup between Night Vale and Tales from the Gas Station is that Cecil is a person of, like, high status Mm -hmm. in Night Vale. He is the radio host. He is a propagandist for the town. And, um... I said Jerry. Uh, Jack is just like a random minimum wage worker with a disability. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, he has too much like story power. There's so much that you can do with the idea, like if you wanted to do some kind of existential horror, cosmic horror from the perspective of someone who is like literally poor and terminally mm-hmm. ill, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of falls flat. Like, it doesn't really do anything with it. It's, like, the components of the story, I think, that draw me into it. Because, like, I want that to be something. But it falls into, like, the same kind of, like, Reddit story problem where, like, the protagonist guy needs to be, like, the hero guy. And, like, the story is, like, hero, hero. You know what I mean? It's, like, he's, like, the main character. So, like, all this stuff happens to him. And it, like, unhappens because the story has to, like, keep going and stuff the worldview that the author is taking is really adolescent Mm, it's it's really like you know sort of teenage nihilist of like i've just discovered that the world is bad and i'm gonna make some art about it it's so fucking like (laughs) uh, deep and like cutting and satirical but like not actually dealing with most of the stuff that Mm -hmm. makes our society yeah it's like and so like it, it's just like, vibe. humans are the real virus, man, kind of <laughs> shit. Like with Benjamin at the end, versus like, like, yeah. okay, why does the Dark God actually need Jack? Because from what it sounds like, the Dark God needs Jack to stop killing kefir plants, right? That's yeah. all the Dark God needs from Jack. Dark God needs an absence of Jack, why doesn't Spencer just kill Jack? Because Jack's the There's, main character. Yeah, exactly. There's something that he threads later on that kind of, like, justifies it, but that's, like, justifying a past decision because he's the main character. <laughs> and, like, this is a problem across, like, uh, quote-unquote genre of this sort of, like, weird things happen at my regular guy job. It's, like, the person yeah. has these, like... The reason why Cecil works is because we can presume some, like statuses about Cecil from his position and like and he's struggling he's literally omniscient yeah and he's struggling with like his morality system because he doesn't agree but like he doesn't want to lose his privileges versus like search and rescue the guy's like a lower level ranger in a forest that 
he can't control because it's a forest. <laughs> and then, like, uh, the radio tower one is, like, basically imprisoned in the radio tower, and they're, like, regular radio people, not magical fantasy <laughs> radio people. Like, these stories don't work the same way, but they want the same formula. Or, like, Magnus Archives was mm. just coming out around... It, it is contemporary to Gas Station, right? Like, it started in, like, 2015, 2016? Yep, yep, yep. And, and, and that is also using this sort of loose anthology with a connected arc format. But, about weird jobs. Yeah, yeah, about, like, weird events, like, ooh, the city is, like, kind of dark and, like, the existential horror kind of stuff going on. But also... Jonathan Sims is a person in a position of power. <laughs> he is the head archivist at a prestigious institution. People, like, people will forget that that's, like, a thing. I think they, they, like, kind of tone it down in the podcast. They, like, sort of, like, lean back on it. <laughs> but, like, that's definitely, like, established early on. And they're like, oh, maybe the audience doesn't really, like, get it, I think, is, like, the tap down. But, like, <laughs> that's the dynamic it needs to be in order for you to, like, thread your message and you need to have like a message to thread you need to understand the perspective of the character that you are writing from in order to structure the satire around it you know because mm -hmm. like because magnus archives is a very serious show for the most part like i mean mm -hmm. there's some jokes obviously but it's much more serious than mm -hmm. any of these other ones that we've been talking about but it is also a satire mm -hmm. like and it's, it's, like, these are all sat- I mean, I have never actually, um, read Search and Rescue because I find it so fucking insufferable, um, like, even just the premise of it. Like, uh, I've, like, I- I, I, I think not... I've read or listened to, like, the first entry, and I was like, nope, not for me. Uh-huh. It's not as much a satire as it is, like, a creature feature. And, like, yeah. fucked up no, stuff I... that happens in the woods. <laughs> it's, like, it's not existential or anything, it's just, mm -hmm. like- what if there was a guy? Uh, <laughs> so, like, sometimes there's parts of it where it's like, that, that's a pretty good setup. Again, I like <laughs> I appreciate little table scenes that don't necessarily equate to a whole story. Yeah. I have a higher tolerance for nonsense, I guess. But, like, <laughs> time-wasting. But, like, I don't really, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But that, like, so Gas Station, Night Vale... Magnus Archives are all specifically stories about capitalism and mm -hmm. like capitalist realism. Oh, that's good. And, yes. and like seeing the way that gas station fumbles being from the perspective of like a minimum wage worker when you compare it to the sort of core inspiration source in, in Night Vale or like mm -hmm. the, the presumed inspiration source because it's like really influential on the horror space at this time, mm -hmm. it just makes it confusing mm -hmm. because the author does not have like a radical politics or a radical lens through which to view capitalism and power you know these things that the story wants to be about he just has nihilism and it's also like we're not really brought into jack's world enough the gas station is just sort of, like, a setting where he exists in, and, like, you could probably do something with that, like, just on the face, but it's not, like, he's probably making, like, $7 an hour. Like, how, how does he deal with that? Like, it doesn't seem to be, like, a limitation, except when it's, like, plot relevant. I like the, like, the stalker reader buying him stuff and him being, like, 
too poor to say no to that, like, that could have <laughs> been coaxed more, you know? Yeah, I, I, I always view that, like, I'm not sure if that comes up later on in the story, but I just have always assumed that, like, with the, the sort of forceful way that the initial fan letter is worded, mm-hmm. I just assumed that this is, like, a CIA guy, it, yeah, it just feels like he's not interested in exploring the topic of, like, the horror and comedy that you can derive from being, like, a working-class schmuck, specifically in, like, a gas station. A rural or gas station. Or of, like, or whatever. weird retail setting. Yeah. I like that the trench coat guy smells like milk, so that's a point. <laughs> I don't think that's the trench coat guy. That's the oh, meat salesman. Whatever, the meat salesman that smells like milk. That's a pretty good <laughs> moment. There's also what feels like a lot of key jingling that goes on. Yeah, it's Especially at the the beginning of every entry, he has to be like, Hi, my name's Jack, and I work at the gas station at the edge of town. Like, he has to do, like, an, like, a intro every single part, and it's really annoying. Don't do that. I'm reading along with the story. It comes because he's doing it in parts on Reddit, back when they were, like, looser about (laughs) the rules, but you still had to be like, announce you're doing a part nonsense (laughs) but i also think it's sort of like the mass appeal of it is the key jingles because people like it's like the story's put on put on the plate for you and you can like pick at it as you as as we were doing it's a sandwich bar comparing this to the other thing that i kept thinking about as i was listening to like pen pal doesn't Mm -hmm. do a lot of key jingling like this and pen pal came out what five years before Penpal introduces each section as, like, its own separate thing because they are separate pieces that go into one complete story. And, like, the lessons that people took from Penpal were entirely the wrong ones. Because, like, Penpal <laughs> is also a big part of where, I think, the the pedigree of anthology pasta mm-hmm. in, in, in specifically this Reddit space comes from. Of, of having, like, a bunch of seemingly unrelated stories about kind of weird, kind of spooky stuff that happens that all turn out to be related in this, like, horrible, sinister way. People took from that, like, you get famous really fast off of it. And <laughs> just ran. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can publish a book um, if you do that and people like it. <laughs> Rather than, like... Like, oh, this person has a story and then presented it as though they did not. And through this yeah. subterfuge, you created dread. <laughs> that, that is a big part of the thing about it as well, is that the key jingling of Gas Station is an attempt at kayfabe that feels mm-hmm. extremely clumsy. Yeah. Like, it is, it is saying, like, okay, guys, we're entering the story space now, and here's the continuity for you to follow. I'm a character named Jack. I'm from the Gas Station. And it's so muppety and annoying. Like, like it's, it's so yeah. freaking Morty, and so much time is spent on like the idea that Jack is losing his mind, and being weird and random because of his illness, and it's a really shitty and ignorant feeling depiction of psychotic symptoms. Like it's trying to portray a kind of disorganized thinking. It, it it's so phony because it's so obviously made for the purpose of like a dumb cliffhanger ending, so that it's supposed to get the audience's attention and string them along, but couched in the fiction of Jack being goofy wacky from the disease. It sucks. It's really insincere. I find it really, really hard to get into a lot of like adult media that's like that, and that's like the majority of like adult media. It's like, 
I don't need you to talk directly into the camera like fucking preschool ad. Uh, <laughs> when you say adult media, you mean like animated media, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Rick and Morty, like that fucking horse one. Bojack, yeah. yeah. I know you fucking hate Bojack. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I've tried to give it so many chances because people keep saying it gets good. I'm like, okay, well, uh, I'll, I'm waiting. But it's like so terminally racist on top of being like, <laughs> okay, kids, today's letter is L. Like that talking directly to the audience about like the thing that's happening or like the character doing like that dry satirical wit kind of thing when it's like, can you just fucking storyboard? Can you just fucking show what's fucking <laughs> happening? Like, Jesus Christ. It's just, uh, it makes me so angry. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. That's also kind of what Gas Station feels to me. Like, it feels like it is written for people much younger than me, you know? Yeah. That's... Because of the, of the techniques that it's using. But it's like, aimed i assume at like 20 30 somethings on reddit and not 14 year olds <laughs> but does all kind of like i've just discovered creepypasta zeal to it that i think is kind of appealing the worst part of the kayfabe i think is the ending of segments especially if it leaves off on like a cliffhanger <laughs> how jack will always do the sort of like oop i gotta go now you guys i might be in danger not even that like Saying, like, oh, I have to go because I might be in danger is one thing, but being like, oh, I have to get back to work and change out of these soiled clothes and, like, doing all of this bait stuff. It, like, because it literally is just bait and it's pointless bait because, like, it ultimately does not mean anything. I think it'd be fine if this was more of, like, a board thread and not, like, a Reddit thing. Because then you can be like, okay, this is sort of, like, a comedy. Again, if Jack was gay, this would just be camp. And we can talk about the merits of it as uh, queer transformative artwork. But instead, it's not. So it's dog. Let this be a lesson to you. Wednesday will give you a free pass if you have a gay narrator. I think it's different then. <laughs> this could be about Jack is dying. And, like, he's only had one relationship, and he's only had a tepid, like, lady relationship that he acts like it's gonna, like, like, he, like, coons over but has, like, no real attachment to, because he's, like, <laughs> expected to as, like, a, a, like, a lonely, dead-end, dead guy, and then he meets, like, Jerry, and there's, like, Spencer, and there's, like, the different kind of homoeroticism about it, like, <laughs> Spencer's, like, the danger, and, like, the, the social, like, threat of like being out like that and jerry's like a good time <laughs> benjamin's okay it's like sure whatever yeah he's serviceable what he's used for ultimately because he like he is there to serve the purpose of that sort of like adolescent like teenage edgelord ideology mm -hmm. kind of thing where benjamin's like representing the real face of humanity where, where we just want to like kill and destroy things and it's like you're so boring <laughs> yeah it's like cool to have like different like archetypes of like this sort of like supernatural hunting drama a hunter guy of stuff yeah. so he's like grizzled and like 
look at my tools, boy. And, like, (laughs) it feels like if this was, like, a rough draft brought to, like, a professional editor or something with these archetypes, like, that could be cool if it was developed more. I mean, yeah, like, he is, he's fine for what he's there to do. And, like, the idea of exploring that as a character type Mm -hmm. is interesting and, like, cool to do. Like, because this is supposed to be playing with, like, different sort of archetypes of Mm -hmm. horror protagonists and and pasta protagonists. Like, you have the kill em all boot boy type guy (laughs) happy-go-lucky jerry and then you have the sort of like neutral middle ground of like jack who doesn't care about anything and is just going through the motions which is like you know the one that you should be in 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 that very south parky like you shouldn't care about anything anyway oh that's that's (laughs) like there's like stuff there it's just really But it feels really empty between the stuff. I keep saying that, but it's like, (laughs) it's just sort of like copes between moments. And it's sort of that problem, like a lot of stuff that are like community horror has, but they cut that stuff, that middle stuff out and you can easily like avoid it. Like Mm. we were talking about when we were sort of like convention about like (laughs) the story, (laughs) like that like scp has sort of like this problem but like you can just avoid that stuff that sucks and go (laughs) read like the little cool bits that like everyone wanted to like go make their own like monster of the week bait story around this time period it's the ip mode Mm. of fiction where it's like i'm crafting a brand more so than telling a story and that sucks yeah, it sucks. especially, okay. and it like totally undercuts if you are writing a story about capitalism, and that's why I know that like this is a person. I mean, okay, I say that, but that also goes for for Craner and Fink, to- who are also yeah. like bloodless that's- ghouls who just want to suck their fans dry for everything they can. <laughs> like, I, I I I was telling Michael about this because like thinking about it as I was listening to Gas Station made it made me mm-hmm. so furious again thinking about it was like that's what makes me so angry about it like <laughs> just... like like the thing with the book in for for Night Vale where like mm-hmm. they yeah fuck them for that. It so manipulatively where like they pirate that storyline up for like three or four years or something they drop all these hints they make it seem like it's going to be really important to the main story and it's going to give us so many answers and mm-hmm. then when they drop the book like they say like okay we're not actually going to talk about any of the events of like what happens in the book on the podcast so that you will have to buy it yeah you, you're going to have to, if you want to listen to this special episode that has more information that's crucial to the plot, you're going to have to pay for it. It's like, yes, you have to survive under capitalism. Yes, artists need to eat. But you don't have to become a capitalist about it, especially if your brand revolves around, you know, what a good leftist you are. I think it's really manipulative to paywall specific sections of your art that are, like, designed to keep your most invested fans on the hook, paying extra to get what should be baseline content, especially on a show that already ran ads, already has a shit ton of merch, you know, wildly successful show. 
Yeah, you're a capless dog at that point. Like, okay, I say it all the time, I'm sure, that pirating is fine, but it's, like, extra <laughs> fine to pirate here. Yeah. I, 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 I did download that story from a non-paid <laughs> paying form, and it was okay. <laughs> yeah, the book is fine. My it's favorite fine. thing in the world is how uh, Nick from Nightmind didn't understand Night Vale until he read the book. <laughs> And he was suddenly like, oh, I understand. It's about capitalism and community. Yes, man. Yeah, what dog. the fuck? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, God. So hot uh. and so stupid. <laughs> it's okay to have a bimbo <laughs> in your community. Gas Station does the similar book tactic. Unlike Welcome to Nightfield, it's really uh, significant into the plot story where the book comes in. And we're not going to talk about the book, so we're just going to act like... We're going to pretend that never yeah, happened. So... Um, <laughs> and yeah, okay, that's the other thing that makes the Night Vale stuff really, really obnoxious, is that they will build it up to be as though it is this like big important thing that you're going to need to know to understand the rest of the story going forward, and then it turns out to be something totally unrelated. Yeah, like, they fuck around fuck? so much, and like, <laughs> I feel like, I find that kind of like, spending the goodwill you built up is really egregious and like an unforgivable yeah. thing, so like, you know... Yeah. They, they saw, like, the queer audience they're forming to be super marketable, so they really toned the story down, so it was more like a little gay romp instead of, like, a nasty story <laughs> they could have been telling, and that's also an unforgivable crime. Yeah. Stomp you to death. I wish the story had stayed as nasty as it was in, oh like, my God. season, like, early season one. It could have been so good. Because, hey, people forget the fact that, like, like, yeah, okay. People are so crazy about, like, Cecil and Carlos, like, ooh, relationship goals. Girl, he stalked him and called <laughs> stopped... him out on, like, local um, public radio that everybody is, that like, has, like mandated to listen over. to. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that's scary, guys. Guys, that's scary. <laughs> that's not okay. And he's presented as such a... It's, and it could have been something. And, like, Cecil is presented as, like, a deeply malevolent force early yeah. on. And then they decided, like, no, that sucks as a protagonist. He's actually he's going to be, guy. like, yeah, he's secretly but, like, a good guy. But, like, sometimes he kills, whatever. <laughs> silly. Sometimes but, good like, guys kill, I guess. Yeah, but, like, he's presented as someone in the first part as, like, someone who's struggling with his identity as this, but ultimately is, like, well... I, I like not having consequences and acts on not having consequences. Yeah, he's he's happy to be complicit. Yeah, and like that's the appeal of the character. And then they take it away and it's just like, okay, well. And now he's just like a dad or something. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> There's another one that's that came out a little bit after this, but I think before the Radio Tower one. I'm not 100% sure that it's a same formula, but it's not really a good job. It's just, like, a guy in the woods in a cabin. I believe it belongs to the same genre, even though it's not about jobs. And then this sort of tone, like, branches off into, like, I'm just a character who's X, Y, and Z, and here's my little, like, story stuff. I think it's, like, a, a branching sort of thing. 
Yeah, it's like that's part of the thing that led us into the explosion of like ruler list based pastas, which I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. is why like that's that's the joke that the author is making when Benjamin calls the gas station and is like, here are the rules that you need if you want to survive the night. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that's that's a bit that he's doing, like he's making fun of those, which like kind of based, I guess. Yeah. There's some stuff that's like a critique. Okay, what it lacks in capital critique, which it desperately needs because we're in a rural gas station and the lack <laughs> of that feels, you feel the hollowness and the lack of the story of that, like lack of integrity. What it lacks from that, it make, it doesn't make up for it. It has instead a commentary about the space the story is being posted in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cool, I think. Ballsy. In in general, Reddit, and especially more, like, center-to-right-leaning kind of Reddit mm-hmm. spaces tend to also skew very white and middle-to-upper-class. And there's not an incentive to appeal to, like, a leftist and diverse audience like it is in podcasting. So, <laughs> like, you're just not gonna get stories like that. Well, you, you are, but not... <laughs> ones that win 2017 scariest story of the year. This this is a place that is going to and and especially in like 2017, a place it won. Hang on, I just processed what you said. It won scariest story of 2017. Go fuck yourself. Not you, <laughs> but like. <laughs> no. check me but i'm pretty sure it has like a fuck ton of awards it might be the best story of the year not the scariest whatever they have some sort of fucking 2017 award yeah god explode nothing better came out in 2017 die oh it's so bad out there (laughs) but and and in like 2017 especially and like on reddit especially you know i mean the home of tumblr in action yeah. <laughs> like, you you are not going to expect to find people who are able, like, even if they understand on that instinctive level that a lot of people who do not have, like, a theoretical background understand that the system that we live in is, is fucking up their life, mm-hmm. right? They are not going to be able to identify the problem and so that's where it becomes that sort of juvenile like things are bad because the world is just bad you guys i've solved it (laughs) yay like (laughs) he gets kind of like into stuff like little edges there but like he does lack uh it lacks like body to it it's often like shoved to the side and like not as it's non-essential is a loosey-goosey term here you know what i mean like yeah if it was chopped, no one would notice it, is what, you know? Even if it's, like, a part of, like, the center story. This is a big, this is, like, a, a, a mild spoiler for something you haven't gotten to yet. But I think that's, really, like, something about, it's like, nauseating in a way that <laughs> I find appealing about a specific topic. Like, oh, that gets me, but that's, it gets because it's specifically something that makes me, and I don't want to say uncomfortable because this is, like, a, a, a baby term, like... I mean, discomfort is is the the sensation. Yes, it it, it creates discomfort in me. 
one of the things also, like one of my other sort of media touch points that I kept kind of mm-hmm. thinking about while going through Gas Station, Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh my god, that was so good. Go watch that. I, I thought of it largely because I think Wolf of Snow Hollow is not afraid to be an actual dark comedy. It was really cool, like, cutout storytelling. And, like, it's it's very highly stylized. Mm-hmm. And it's about a guy having a weird time at his job. <laughs> yeah, it, oh. it fits the format while not being, like, obnoxious. Yeah, go watch it. Because it's, like, like it, it has very snappy dialogue and a really, like, stylized kind of vibe to it. But it's not, like, weedony. The comedy is derived from, like, the sharpness and intense discomfort you're going to have while experiencing it. Yeah, it is uncomfortable on purpose. And that's the thing yeah. that makes it so fun. Yeah. Things like this need to, like, draw you into that space where you're, like, laughing, but you're like, oh, I, I probably shouldn't have laughed at that. <laughs> but, like, not in, like, a, I did a shocking, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a different, there's different qualities to it. Mm-hmm. I had a realization when we were talking about that, of, like, whose fault this all is. This is, like, people trying to do their own Twin Peaks. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go for Whedon, because I, I mentioned his name, but no, you went all the way to, to Lynch. <laughs> we're going to the source. We're uprooting it. We're destroying the evil at its core. <laughs> Guys, I don't think Twin Peaks is good. I could not get into it. I I watched that for I mean granted I watched it when I was like 17. Uh, you should but I try that. it and also not yeah. get into it this time. <laughs> Just you know, I I like the little detective guy, but I like him in a gay way and not in a story <laughs> way. Like I could pick him out of the story and put him in a better story. <laughs> I mean or just, like, watch something else with Kyle McLaughlin in it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I should. He's such a cute little character. I think Night Vale gets a lot of its pedigree from Twin Peaks, and so mm-hmm. therefore the things that are ripping off Night Vale... Yeah, that's in, what I mean. In particular... It's like the Silent Hill effect. But, like, <laughs> with Twin Peaks, it's, like, the inspo further and further away, so, like, it degrades in quality over time kind of thing like the copy of a copy and soon, yeah. soon you had to have like the crustiest xerox known to man yeah i think that's the thing too that people don't people want to like sometimes intentionally but like they want to like make something based on something that like strikes them without like digging into like why that creator made the thing in the first place if you don't like get into like what built the story up you're not going to understand, like, the components of the story. The author's intent for the thing is not even necessarily important, but, like, Mm. if you haven't thought about it in that specific way of, like, okay, what are the component pieces that make it work in the way that I like it? Night Vale does enough, like, recombination of Mm -hmm. Twin Peaks and, and has its own original flavors that it doesn't just feel like it is regurgitating Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It's also not a mystery. We're divided into very similar spaces with very similar types of people 
but the intention is different because it's not we're not we're not invited to a mystery to solve we're like like a voyeur of people's lives sucking i guess i mean there is a mystery in night vale which is like the underlying mystery of the implied mystery of like why is the town like this and what's going on that's but true. it turns out that ultimately the answer to that is extremely unsatisfying, and it's bad to get. Yeah. By that point, they're like, it's just like a branding thing. It's just like IP silly, like, nonsense stuff, and a self-building thing. It's no longer, like, they're no longer telling a story. They're just, like, making sure their machine keeps turning to make money. Mm-hmm. So Welcome to Nightville doesn't get to have, like, that big story resolve. It's just, like trudging along i mean like like it gets to the point where it answers the question of why and it's just like the answer sucks like it feels like the amount of build-up that they spend on why is the town so weird what's going on who are the 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 tiny houses like what's going on who's hunter car and the answer to all of those things fucking sucks it's boring it does not meet the level of hype and level of like drawn out time that it took to get there that's the thing too like stuff needs to be built in like a proportionality i really hate when things like backslide and welcome to nightfield is a lot of backsliding and back to like flat back to like the start and like gas station story does that a bunch too it is a kind of monster of the week type thing, you have to return to status quo. You know, you can't have anything actually resolve with the Dark God plot because it might change the status quo and you'll have to remember that going forward. And then you'll have to, like, change the perception of the way things work in this world. And blah blah blah. Night mm-hmm. has a little more progression than that, but it progresses into being boring. Hey, you all know this character you all like. I think there's, like, room to work with that kind of, like, it has to return back to, like, status quo. And Gas Station would have been in a unique position to make use of that in, like, a more literary way. Because, like, well, he has to go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> and, like, he doesn't have to, have to. But, like, there is room to have that kind of, like, well, this, like, pays my rent or like whatever. Like, if there was just anything else more to it. Like, like if there was any emotionality behind it. Mm. Yeah, we're supposed to feel like it's appealing that Jack is, like, flat and just deals with stuff this way. But it takes a lot of the wind out of it, and I don't... Like, sometimes that feels like the intent. Like, these things are really, like, doll events, but I don't know. The theme of the story is ultimately nothing can ever get better, nothing can ever really change, (laughs) and you should just be fine with that. You should just go about your day and put your head down. Like, there's not even any, like, existential despair about it. Like, like, he's filled with existential hope when he sees the cocoon, and then it gets eaten, and he, he is just like, oh, whatever. It's a random Corbett. It's like, seemingly to punish Jack and the audience for daring to step out of the shallow pool of apathy that the author wants him to be, like, splashing around in as he read this story. The extraordinary thing is having the ability to even hope anymore. And and the sudden letdown from that is so par for the course. It doesn't even rank mentioning. It's the most eye-roll-worthy doomer shit. 
Like, and like, we can, like, read that he's clearly hurt by this action, but, like, it doesn't have any sort of, like, it is, like, it is written very, like, cartoon, like, adult swim sort of stuff, you know? I, I've always hated that moment so much. Like, that's always been <sighs> one of my least favorite things in the whole thing, because it just, like, it feels so, like, I found that edgy. really irritating this read through yeah yeah there's a way people talk about writing where they're like "Ooh, i'm being so mean to my characters and stuff and i just find that just like really immature like yes sometimes you do have to do bad things to the characters in the story but like it, it just feels really juvenile when people are like celebrating unless the story is like dank nasty there's you're being, like, 12 about it. <laughs> I mean, even then. I think there's room for, like, stuff sucking a lot. But, like, there's a difference, I think, <laughs> in the quality of that amount of sucking, you know? If you were going into it from the perspective of, like, okay, I'm doing this to this character for the purpose of this thing that happens down the road. I'm doing this to this character because there is mm. a change or a growth that has to happen. But yeah. if you go into it from the perspective of, like, I'm being so bad. I'm such a naughty god. I love making my characters suffer. Like, it's just like, what? Like, are you ten? <laughs> okay, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like, you can't treat your characters as people, I think, is part of it. Like, on the one end of the spectrum is, like, thinking that this character in your head is a full human being that you're doing things to. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's, like, this is a poppet or a dolly onto which I can project torture porn to be edgy. And I think the ideal is a happy medium. Like, you can't be overly precious. But if you want to create well-rounded characters that feel three-dimensional and create investment in the audience, I think you also need to have some respect for them as puzzle pieces within your story. When I took the caterpillar note, I also wrote something, something, the simplest argument to refute a moral nihilist is to kill them. And then I did an arrow and said, I looked that quote up and found an interesting little post-hardcore song on Bandcamp. So that oh, was a little fun. journey that I had that I got to like pause the story what? and go and do something else for a couple minutes. This was rewarding for you. Like a treasure hunt. <laughs> a part I liked, this read through was the, um, the hole in the gas station. That was nice. Where spilled things gathered. I appreciate little, <laughs> I appreciate little, little details like that sometimes. One of the things that I was thinking about in relation to the sort of, like, South Park edgelord politics mm -hmm. and capitalist realism and, like, not doing anything with your satire and the, mm -hmm. the like, humans can never change kind of thing. The way that the Dark God is used, and I fucking hated the Dark God so much. I that hate that he's just so like rad. just like a quirky little guy. Um, like, I hated that. That made me genuinely like really mad as I was listening to it. It was a difficult read through, not gonna lie this time. I'm glad that part was over. I don't hate the people plants. That's like a cool idea. Also, you know what I like about this story? These stories, they're like walking simulators. <laughs> but the the fact that the dark god is basically just like a prop yeah, to 
show, like, the naivety of progressivism. Like, okay. <laughs> like, there's something... Like, okay. It, it can't be just me who thinks that there's something supposed to be, like, coded about the fact that, like, you're representing him as this, like comically fat creature of ambiguous yeah. gender with a red he's mohawk. Like, he might as well have blue hair and pronouns. <laughs> he's kind of fresh on Jack and that's like framed as like weird and bad. Like the reason Holy he shit! Kill- is there a fucking manhunt on outside? Like five <laughs> fucking helicopters have flown overhead. We, Jonah, you're like capturing international news right now on your audio. I'm so, I'm so angry. I'm so sorry. Can you see them? No, I'm just hearing them. I have my blinds closed. Oh my god. This is the person go you're recording right now. (laughs) Listen, if it's meant to belong to you, it will come back to you. (laughs) So, and, and, and the Dark God is also like, oh, you know, so sue me for thinking that someone can be rehabilitated as this, like, you know, so comical talking point because he's talking about a violent criminal, you guys. I love How Spencer. Silly. Spencer is really good. I think Spencer should have he's... killed Jack the first chance he got. Spencer's oh right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spencer's so Spencer's so misused in the story, but I love the menace he brings into the story. I have, like, no care for Jack's character, and, like, maybe that's the point. I don't know, but I do love it when Spencer brains him and stuff. (laughs) Like, I mean, we both know why we like Spencer so much. Spencer is just, like, a lesser version of Habit. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, my crazy, insane, psychopath guy in my yeah. story and like whatever sure i'll take him yeah he's he's I'm just our picky. pet jeff the killer like <laughs> uh but like he rules he's so funny he does it. he's so good i think it's so wild how like ah, like obviously they exist in the story the story supports these characters but jerry and spencer is to delight like an <laughs> unexpected delight every time they have like good bits <laughs> I feel like the story is such, like, a... I feel like I'm watching, like, an improv sketch and, like, not not everything lands, but sometimes that Jerry and that Spencer, (laughs) they really get me. Like, I think the author has a lot of fun with them, but the author Mm -hmm. really wants us to be invested in Jack. Yeah, it's it's definitely his, like, horror story sauna. And like, I oh, suck so much. I do think it's kind of a charming trait, though, that he's like, okay, guys, I know you're awarding me and stuff, but I gotta go pump gas. <laughs> like, didn't hate that. Like, it's presented in kind of a cornball, over-the-top way. And if it was toned down, just like, uh, like a decimal, it would not feel like that. But I don't hate that. I don't hate a guy who's like, yeah, I know I'm probably gonna get, like, crazy murdered and stuff, but I, I really am gonna go pop gas right now. Some sort of, like, misplaced sense of, like, like, if he draws his sense of self from this job because there's nothing else going on in his life, and, like, that's the jeopardy of, like, him putting his body and time in danger this like it's someone else's business and like he's just yeah. like a laborer there and he draws his a 
like his entire identity, his entire shop at this place. He's like the employee. And like, it's like being constantly threatened to be like removed and stuff. I think it's a cool part of Jack's character is that he like really holds on tight to him being an employee. But again, also like the sort of, I guess, economic reality of it doesn't really get explored because the no, reason Jack wants to work all the time isn't because he needs to make his rent. It's because like he can't medical bills. he can't sleep and he can't stand being at home bored. So he just goes to the gas station and wants to be there basically twenty four hours. It's such a white collar fantasy of like going to a gas station and having job adventures. <laughs> gas station for men is what coffee shop is for women in the same sort of like <laughs> fictional reality settings you know i mean it's also uh because like liminal spaces were taking off around this time and the idea of like you know the rural gas station as one of the ultimate liminal spaces i guess also props to him to getting the gas station first and popular like (laughs) anything you plant your flag first whatever baby yeah i mean like that's why the the first entry is so like short and weird mm-hmm. and like goes nowhere because he's just like he it seems like he is just banging something out because he's like oh i need to be the first gas station liminal horror guy and he was right he didn't need to do that <laughs> <laughs> oh horror landscape development oh, like, i like liminal space stuff so it's all it's like a struggle because lots of my interests are tied up in people who like to make just garbage the, data <laughs> like the the most vapid pointless oh, like literally just existing to exist in a lot of the cases yeah it's a blue ball environment the thing that i did instead of reading gas station for like multiple <laughs> days <laughs> I didn't even work on, like, the comic, which is usually the thing that has been, like, distracting me from getting work done on this. Mm-hmm. Like, I was literally just playing Golden Sun nonstop, because I finally got <laughs> Virtual Boy. It's <laughs> so exciting. Like, I'm reading a little ahead to, like, reorganize groups of the reading. This is kind of, like, breezy. <laughs> it's nice to have a little wiggle room to talk about whatever after Mother Horse Eyes. We just came off of Mother Horse Eyes, which was, what, like, seven episodes we did of that? Mm -hmm. Six, seven? Like, a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff that we had to do. And, like, that is so dense, and there's so much to talk about. Like, where this, I really, really noticed the lack of, like, information density. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not dense. It's, like, thin. It's like a, a thin soup. Which is weird because of how painful it is for me to read when it's not that dense. (gasps) Well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. Let us know your thoughts on Tales from the Gas Station. Give us a like, share us with your friends. Next episode... Tales from the Gas Station Part 2 Christmas at the Gas Station and the Upside Down This has been the Creepypasta Book Club Thank you and good night